0: You're listening to 103.5 FM WLSP LP, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin.
1: The views expressed on this program are those of the producers and individuals appearing on this program and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Sun Prairie Media Center staff or the staff and elected officials of the city of Sun Prairie.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to What Are We Building on 103.5 FM. The Sun, Sun Prairie's community radio, coming to you from the studio here over by the library at the Sun Prairie Media Center. Hopefully the last time we'll be in the studio. We're actually getting ready to open up a new studio, which is really exciting around here. But uh, I I was almost sideswiped on the way in today uh, on, the, on the roundabout at Highway C and Main Street there, which is... Look, we're all trying to do our best with these roundabouts. It's kind of a free-for-all. Just settled down. This guy in a Honda Ridgeline, which... Come on, if you're going to get a pickup truck, get an American-made pickup truck, Honda Ridgeline. But he he just, you know, he's he's zinging around and almost, like I said, almost sideswiped me. And then I got to get off where I didn't want to get off. And then he gives me the bird and all this. Anyway, just slow down on the roundabouts, would you? And then this other lady at Walmart who's, she had her mask hanging around her ear. She's got her face around the glass. There's a glass partition on the cashier and she's all up in the cashier's face, you know, with no mask on and just... Wear your mask, people. Keep your distance. We don't need any of this. So I'm not even going to spend a whole lot of time on that lady, although I did tell a manager that, hey, you might want to do something about this. Going to try to calm down because there was some good news this week that uh, some prairie was actually named the 40th best Place in the country to live, um, and there's a lot of cities in the in the country. And we were named 40 on the list of, of places to live. And the the cool part about it was, you know, not only that we were named that, but the reasons that they gave were a lot of things we've sort of been talking about this on the show: uh, racial diversity, inclusivity, and uh, affordable housing. You know, we talk a lot about apartments, and so it's nice to, you know, Money Magazine's been doing this for a long time. They're they're kind of experts on this, and they look at numbers and data, and they know what makes a good place to live or a great place to live. And for them to say that some prairie, you know, kind of fits that criteria – uh, for for a lot of reasons that I think I, I agree with, quite frankly, uh, it was was exciting to see. And so not only have we built a great community here to have that recognized, but, but we're on the right track, we're continuing to build and, and build in the right way. And so I'm, I'm happy to be part of that, and that's exciting. But, you know, uh, one of the the things that has come in the news here lately is the the old City Hall, which if, if you want to go back and listen uh, to my interview with Leanne Doherty, she's actually going to be running the— flavors wine bar that's going to be going in there but they were doing all this restoration historical restoration and they actually asked for an exemption to have the the bell tower uh exceed the height limit there's a height limit for buildings and so you've got to get approval and so you know that that's an ongoing debate in terms of growth and what what new stuff do we build and then how do we still preserve and you know maintain a lot of the history and unique character of some prairie. And so to have not only uh, preservation but restoration, uh that that city hall is obviously right near the the explosion and is really a, a focal point and and a symbol of the city and so to have that bell tower a nice t- tall high building that's really going to be I think a signature uh building and architecture is really cool. So I applaud the the developers of that and and Miss Doherty and I hope her business does well. That's exciting. And then, you know, the last thing I want to mention is my guest today is uh, Dr. Brianne Pitts. Uh, She works with the school district, and we're going to continue to talk about, uh, you know, some of the racial justice questions and concerns that that continue to kind of dog America right now. And, uh, and, and think about what we can do as, as citizens and, and, you know, residents of the city of Sun Prairie to, to be a part of that positive conversation. But, uh, you know, one of the things I hear, I, I try to keep tabs on some of the discussions that I hear around town or on social media is people who, you know, continue to complain about how we're growing or what we're building. And if it's one thing if you don't like what's going in for your own reasons, um, but for you to assume that people, you know, I hear a lot of the time that, you know, why do we need another grocery store? Why would they build Meyer store, why do why, who was gonna shop there? Who can afford these new apartments? Why would anybody want to live there? With you know the idea that you know best what is you know what we need or what we should build, when there are literally people whose full time job it is to, to figure that out. Uh, Meyer's a, a big company, these development companies who build these apartments, they literally it's their job and their entire success of their business is built on their reputation and understanding of exactly what we need. So, you know, the, the people that are complaining don't have any clue. You know, the, the idea that they're going to spend millions of dollars, invest inventory, or, you know, put all that money into building an apartment that nobody wants is just ludicrous and idiotic. So you don't know what you're talking about. And like I said, if you want to complain because you think that, that you don't like the way it looks or the way there's going to be traffic or, you know, there's different reasons you might not like it. But the idea that you think other people... Won't want something that people, like I said, are paying millions of dollars to to because they know exactly what we need and exactly what the market wants. Uh, that's why they're doing it. So I just had to say my piece on that because I, I just find those people ridiculous. Um, we're going to take a little break and we will come back and talk to Breanne Pitts. Music. You're listening to 103.5 The Sun Community Radio. This is What Are We Building? I'm Andy Shaner. Hey, I just want to give everybody a heads up on the 26th and 27th this Saturday, Sunday. I apologize if you're hearing this on a replay and you already missed it, but we've got a huge Trivia Palooza event coming up. Uh, Ten hours, both days, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, You can register, get online. Bunch of prizes were given away. I love trivia. I will be hosting from four to six p m on Saturday. but all the different hosts and folks that are involved with the media center will be uh, will be involved with that and it'll be a really cool community event kind of christen our new studios, break that thing in, and, uh, and get uh, kind of celebrate a five years five year birthday five years of uh, of great community radio uh, so check that out. Uh, you can also you can get the app, the Sun Prairie Media Center app, on the uh, App Store, Google Play Store, and you can listen online that way, or of course on one of three point five, the Sun Community Radio Station on one of three point five FM. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with my guest, Brianne Pitts. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I should, should I call you Brianne? Should I call you Doctor Pitts? I I just. With the Ph.D. thing, you always can kind call of throwing... me okay. Sounds good. But I, I guess we should introduce you. You are Dr. Brienne Pitts. Uh, you have a Ph.D., and that was part of the re- one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. But you know, I, I think that gives you a, you know certainly some credibility and says that you've done, you know certainly put in the the schoolwork, but then actually in time, but also you know you've researched some of these things, and uh, I think have some type of social science background and and credibility. I think you can lend to it. So I appreciate you being on.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the conversation.
0: So, uh, I I'm sorry. I, you are a instructional coach. Is that your actual title at Creekside? Yes. Yep. And so, what does that mean exactly?
1: <laughs> it means that I have the pleasure of working with some really incredible educators and assessing student learning on a regular basis to see what next steps and learning opportunities are down the line. So. A lot of curriculum work, a lot of lesson planning, and sort of introspective practice. So I'm, I'm basically a coach working alongside teachers to try to find ideal outcomes for kids.
0: Okay. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So are you working, you're working more with the teachers necessarily than with the kids? Fair to a say? A little bit of both. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I like to consider myself as a partner. I'm definitely a classroom teacher at heart and first, and um, have really built a wonderful opportunity with my colleagues to be in the classroom when we're face-to-face working with the children as well as the adults.
0: Yeah. And I I know, yeah, it's one of those things. I even think about it at my job of people who can, you know, you have a manager and you can kind of always, always be coached and get tips. I mean, I think of of Tiger Woods or LeBron James who are at the, the highest level of, you know, athletics, they have coaches and they have people that, point them in the right direction and tell them hopefully what they could do a little bit better or, or what they're doing well. And I think at every level, um, not only the principal is probably doing some of that, but but having a, a coach or someone there to help out is, is a good thing.
1: I certainly hope so. And we have lots of leaders and coaches in our positions as well. So um, we are often coached from outside the schools and <laughs> bring back our learning Um, to the teachers and students we work with. So it's really, hopefully it's a reciprocal learning process that just never ends.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you're at Creekside. Are there, does each elementary school or other schools have an instructional coach, or is that kind of unique to Creekside?
1: That's a great question. We do in Sun Prairie have instructional coaches at at least halftime capacity in each of the school buildings. Okay. So um, this model has been something they've been growing over the last, I believe it's been about 10 years here in Sun Prairie. And it began with a couple of schools and sort of a test run. And as um, data came back from these partnerships and collaborations and students were growing and, um, you know, teachers were too, it, it felt like it was worth investing in. So the schools have continued the progress and, I'm really grateful that I have a wonderful team of colleagues to work
0: with. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I don't hear a lot. I think generally you've seen the signs out, and people have been largely supportive of teachers and understand the challenges. I, I haven't. It hasn't been perfect. I've got certainly my thoughts on what I'd like to see, maybe a little bit differently with distance learning with my kids. But um, you know, one of the complaints you do hear is people is sort of teachers who get, you know, older teachers who get a little bit stuck in the way they're doing things and aren't open. And so to create a culture of You know, we're always kind of constantly looking for ways or new ways to do things and improve. Uh, I think I think is great for one of probably one of the reasons why people have such a high impression or opinion of some prairie schools.
1: I think that that your critique is certainly um, something that I have heard and that, uh, you know, we can get stuck in our ways at any point in our career and profession But that certainly the continued professional development, continued learning inside and outside of the classroom with community partners is one way that Sun Prairie is being really innovative in um, pushing forward teacher learning and student achievement.
0: Yeah, and we'd like to think that we have great schools and that they do sort of stand out from Dane County or Wisconsin or the country as a whole. And I don't necessarily know, people don't necessarily know why. And so I think being able to highlight some of what you're doing or what you're talking about is is nice to be able to make people aware that there are things that we have to actively do to maintain that level of, of excellence, I guess. Well, so, that's,
1: I certainly – I appreciate you considering me as part of the, the solution, and I hope that, that we can continue to work together for our kids.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: that's really where it's at, right? So,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's what it's about. And um, so did you did you come to this position – directly out of school or what what's kind of your professional background
1: so i did not come to teaching as my first career i was a performance uh artist in chicago i Mm. did improvisation and theater performance and performed across wisconsin and chicago mostly uh across the midwest i guess really for a number of years after yes after graduation and just wasn't feeling fulfilled yeah, and my husband, who also was in theater at the time, was a um, professor at Columbia College in Chicago.
0: My wife's cousin actually went to Columbia College.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful um, arts, multidisciplinary. Yeah, kind of in the, urban of city.
0: Yeah, urban, right in Chicago. Kind of a small liberal arts university. Yeah, yeah.
1: and and I got kind of curious, and so I started um, approaching their programs with some interest, and I found that they had a Master's of Art in Teaching program. Hmm. And it was about urban education and it was three years of hands on service kind of in the city and, and around and had the pleasure of going through their program and teaching at an immigrant and refugee charter school in the city of Chicago. OK. And so I got a quick education and how little I knew of the world <laughs> and um, really by the grace of the students and families I worked with. Learned a lot about myself, about my community, about our world, and some of the ways that we could forward opportunities or withhold them from children. And it really, um, it got me interested in some of the inequities I saw exacerbated in my community in Chicago. And I began looking for graduate programs to learn more. So are you- Super loved teaching.
0: Yeah. Are you from Chicago originally?
1: Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, actually. And- yeah. And just when I was approaching acting, out, of, coming out of college in Kansas City, Missouri, I, I knew Chicago was where I wanted to perform. Yeah. I don't want to get so. sidetracked
0: on an improv discussion, but I was I, <laughs> I'm sort of fascinated by improv in general and just the idea of listening. And uh, I could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. But where did you where were you performing or were you taking classes and things? <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I took some classes. I, I worked at a very um, short-lived, really ingenious idea at the time—a uh, place called. So this is a sidetrack story, and I'll circle back. But called Improv Kitchen, okay, which existed in um, in Chicago, and it was a live television studio connected to a restaurant. Mm. And we were improvisers who the tables in the restaurant could request. Different things, so it was sort of like live theater while you eat. Wow! It was supposed, to, yeah, it was really <laughs> bizarre. It was, it was supposed to be a like Saturday Night Live esque kind of situation where you come for a fancy dinner, but meanwhile you're getting this entertainment on demand. Um, and it was pre a precursor to like really viable YouTube and internet. I mean, at yeah. the time it was really revolutionary. And so I worked there probably six months, um, performing live every night and that's that's really a rare thing i didn't make a lot of money but um it was really fun
0: right but it's sort and, of it sounds like sort of yeah, like dinner theater which has a bad connotation but really <laughs> for like like an edgy cool version of dinner theater or you that know improv version. yeah yeah
1: and and it i think that improvisation is actually the key to many relationships and so i'm grateful that even though it was an ill-fated Theater career, it taught me how to approach many situations with sort of an open mind and just to say yes and then continue to cycle through what can we do next or how can we make this better? How can I, we collaborate?
0: I mentioned I'm sort of fascinated by it. I think there's a bunch of different things about improv and what I know of it that would help anybody in any situation and relationship. So we're we're kind of on the same page there. So that well, that's really cool. So then you you ended up kind of down this education track and then yep. what what brought you to Sun Prairie?
1: So uh, I was really interested in programs that dealt with the historical aspects of education. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn more about how schooling came to be and the reason behind schools and the way that we propagated certain ideologies in schools. And so I looked for um, programs around the country that had like almost like an archaeology of education. program. And University of Wisconsin-Madison has a similar program. And I ended up approaching the, the chair of that program, and it, it, it actually wasn't what I was looking for. And I met the curriculum and instruction chair at UW many years ago, and Beth Grau uh, was kind enough to sit down with me and sort of talk through what it was that I wanted to achieve in education. And I applied to that program and was blessed to study under Carl Grant in the Multicultural Education Wing of Curriculum and Instruction at UW. So I received my doctorate there this spring.
0: But you you were kind of given the freedom to sort of craft your own path or decide what it was you wanted to focus on?
1: I was, and I went into school, um, Andy, really focusing on, I was fascinated by Carol Dweck and this okay. idea of mindset. and And what I was curious about in classrooms is I wanted to see if teachers' mindset and the way that we approached our students – Um, whether they had a fixed or growth mindset, I believe are her terms, and and how our own mindsets impacted student achievement. So that was what I went into the program to study and then had some really incredible experiences and opportunities learning in a black intellectual thought class that I took with Dr. Grant. Hmm. And meanwhile, was seeing some really challenging things come up in in questions teachers were having about curriculum and instruction and it was black history month. And I saw some things at the time that I I really was like, wow, I want to know more. Sure. And so I, I started to study specifically how I, as a white woman approach um, quote unquote others histories or multicultural histories in, in my teaching in schools Mm -hmm. Um, and history was my undergrad minor and something that I've maintained a, a sincere focus and appreciation for him as I've grown, but I I really wanted to get at like what was it that we were supposed to be teaching, quote unquote, versus our interpretations of these historical narratives and how that impacts kids.
0: Yeah, totally. I was so um, I was a I was a double major in journalism and history. So here oh, here wow, I am yeah. in front of a microphone um, talking to you. <laughs> but makes sense. Um, yeah. So uh, boy, that's there's a lot. That's a that's a rich topic to dig into. But I I just going back to mindset, what can Mm -hmm. you sum up? What did you find in terms of what how teachers mindset affected uh, their students?
1: Well, certainly, we know it has a great impact. And that was not my research study that didn't end up being the route that I went down. Um, But but growing from Carol Dweck's work and Cornelius Minor and a number of different educational researchers, certainly, the way a teacher approaches a student and a student's family or our belief structures as in some Prairie majority white instructors, and that's mm-hmm. national nationally, it's like 87% or something like that. According to the national center for education statistics,
0: 87% of, 87% of teachers. So almost nine out of 10 are white.
1: Absolutely. If not more. Right. And I mean that that's the national like statistics. So it's, it's higher in some spaces and, so that that's really an important aspect of who we are as cultural beings, who we come to the classroom as. I myself, as a teacher, mm-hmm. my beliefs, my ideals, what I'm Bi- biases,
0: biases, and yeah.
1: Absolutely. Sure. I, I heard you and Becky talking about, you know, nice white parents.
0: Yeah, that and, podcast. And, and Yeah, from absolutely. The New York Times.
1: And. That podcast, I think, sums up so many of the issues that each of us are trying to do what we believe to be best at that moment, yeah. in that space, for our children, for our students, for our work. But that it's all of the things that make up who we are vastly impact the way we instruct students in the classroom.
0: And being aware of our power, that's really what that pod, you can. You can go back and listen to my conversation with Becky Volanek on a previous episode of What Are We Building? Um, but, yeah, talking about this podcast of the power we have as white parents without even realizing, and I think more and more people are starting to realize the concept of white privilege and kind of where that comes from and, and what power that has for, for good and for, I think you said, for, for being, moving things forward or withholding opportunities from uh, minority or marginalized communities
1: and absolutely andy and it's much like our discussion of mindset these these things are intimately connected and i guess that's my finding sure. is that our mindsets our ideologies our our biases are connected to the way that we instruct in the classroom and and my research study which surrounded white teachers teaching black history really came out with with similar findings that that the teachers' belief structures and personal uh, personally stated limitations impacted how they taught in the classroom so and the teachers yeah it was it was pretty wild
0: yeah so let's talk specifically about history because it's a topic I'm fascinated by and you mentioned that you you taught how looked at how white or majority teacher would typically approach black history and I, I know a lot of it you know we tend to think of racism as being something that was in the past or, or used to I think that's changing but what are some insights that you found in terms of of how we had approached Black history that 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 brought you know our perspectives and mindset that maybe sort of affected how we taught that to white kids and to black kids?
1: Absolutely, and and this when I talk about majority white teachers, I, I'm speaking of whiteness as well, and those aren't necessarily the same thing. Mm. Whiteness is is a construct, right? It's a yep ideology that many people embody, whether they be people of color or white folks like myself. And it's so ingrained in the way that we do things that we can't even recognize it as part of who we are. So um so that's sort of a secondary notion. But some of the things I found as I studied majority white teachers teaching black history were that teachers were really impacted by their beliefs in their adequacy to teach the subject. So in terms of teaching Black history, out of 217 teachers who responded to, to my questionnaires, 68% said that they teach Black history. So that's really exciting finding, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of teachers include some Black history in their instruction. Sure. However, the secondary question is, do you feel adequately prepared to teach Black history? And more than 71% of respondents said they do not. Ah. So if you can imagine that as a pie graph, almost 70% teach it. Of the ones who teach it, more than 70% do not feel prepared. So the biggest barrier to teachers' instructional practice in teaching multicultural histories, in my findings, was teachers' own beliefs, this efficacy.
0: And so I I think one response to that might be that there's this fear of not teaching it the right way or not being, quote-unquote, politically correct, that I don't want it to, I can't teach black history. I'm not adequate to be able to teach it because I'll do something that will be offensive. Or, you know, what did you find in terms of how could we go about starting to improve that? What did you find were things that we could do to support teachers to make them feel more adequate in being able to do that?
1: Absolutely. So, yes, my, fri- my primary barriers that I found teachers encountered, fear was by and large uh, the most comprehensive. And that's fear of backlash from parents and students fear of ridicule fear of losing their job yeah i mean if you think about the contentious moment we're in where we're seeing these racial uprisings across the united states teachers are really wrestling with how much of this can i bring into the classroom how much of this am i allowed to discuss you Mm -hmm. know where does this fit in my curriculum where does it match with the standards So lots of questions for teachers. And the other barrier they really were experiencing was systems of support. So looking for structures in the community, looking for other people in the community that that could support them. And so what did I find that the teachers who were able to move past those barriers? These teachers were integrating multicultural histories, including Black history, in their instruction year-round. It was part of who they were, part of the instruction they were providing. They were inviting multiple perspectives into all conversations regardless of the subject matter they were teaching
0: ah uh, so it isn't are- just it, it isn't just february and we talk about martin luther king jr and rosa parks and black history month it's how do we get black and minority and hispanic and, and asian and uh, different all, all different perspectives in male and female onto all subjects that we're teaching specifically with regards to, to history or other social issues and questions to make it more of just an ongoing discussion as opposed to sort of segmenting it into one month. Right.
1: Absolutely. We can't localize it. Yeah. We have to honor our students and the families that they, they come with. We have to honor the full humanity of each of our kids and their intersectional beings. So I am a mother. I am white. I am you know, I identify as a female, I I have all these different parts. Uh, It was, you know, middle class, family, educated. These different things make up who I am. My students come to me with very different intersectional pieces of who they are, their race, their gender, their class, their education, their family background, their immigration status, their sexual preference, all of these different things. And as a teacher, um, as a collaborator in these classroom environments, I have to be able to honor the full humanity of these children mm-hmm. and their and their and their parents, their adults that love them. So, uh, so how do we support them in that process? And that's really what these teachers were were trying to figure out. And it doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, constantly. But these teachers also approach this practice with humility and the knowledge that they will fail forward. And that's such a
0: gift. Yeah. There is the, if not the best part that that has come out of the last several months and the Black Lives Matter movement is is the idea that we can not fear having these conversations and that we can ask some dumb questions and we can fall on our face. Um, I like that failing forward. The visual of that is, uh, uh, you know, we we can fail and fall, but, but do it moving in the right direction and open ourselves up to to having some of those uncomfortable conversations and i i really hope that that is happening in the classroom i guess two questions is what as we kind of wrap up here is what can we do as parents because we're not we we're trying to reinforce a lot of these messages and we can't be in school with our i guess we're kind of with our kids i don't know everybody's situation is different right now but in those off times around the dinner table uh, on the weekends what can we do with our own kids and then what's one thing we can do to kind of help support teachers better and sort of push them in the direction towards some of these things to feel, make them empowered to have more of these conversations.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to a- answer your second question first. Sure. And then, and then the, what can we do for our own children second? So what can we do to support teachers and schools and really the whole system? Um, I know I was talking about my research, which is outside of our district and our peripheral, but it, it has applications here. Mm-hmm. And what we see is, like, I received an article from a friend today that was posted on a local news website about a teacher who who shared a lesson. The parents felt negatively impacted their child, and they reached out to the school, to the district, to the teacher. And basically, it was a, a English lesson where children were asked to review an isthmus article and compare it to a couple of different pieces of literature. Hmm. And, um, and the parents were quite upset. And I want to compliment and appreciate our superintendent, Dr. Brad Theron, um, for his response to the family and in support of the teacher is certainly when we get to these difficult topics, when we come up on challenging subject matter that maybe make a teacher, make a student, make a family uncomfortable, that we have to approach these situations with inquiry and have to approach these situations with with an open mind and the opportunity to have that open conversation, right? I yeah, just, so this actually ha- this to, happened
0: in Sun Prairie, what you're talking about. This happened in yeah. Sun
1: Prairie, and, I'm, and I, again, this was sent to me. I have not had an opportunity to fully review it. I am not vetting this article or right. the news in it. But just to say that the article speaks to some challenges in terms of, of families and students and teachers finding a balance mm-hmm. of having these difficult conversations and feeling supported. And, and what I'm trying to just inquire around is that we have to be able to honor the discomfort of the child and family, the discomfort and you know opportunity the teacher was teaching towards humanity, trying to pull in these different resources and perspectives that that came from, I believe, an an article. It, it's about the Black Lives Matter movement. Sure, but I can be a person who believes that police are valuable and an important part of our society, and a person who believes Black Lives Matter. Hundred percent. Um, and I, can I think also most be people are there.
0: Are there? By the way, by the way, despite all the efforts to to sort of paint it as one side or the other, and you're all on one or all on one of the other side, most people believe exactly what you just said. So. Well, and,
1: and I think that that's the thing is the parents and the teacher and the schools and, and the systems, we probably are closer aligned than anyone could imagine. And if you have, those, often, com- if you have those
0: conversations yeah. and find there is common ground there, after all, what is education about, after all, other than hearing and learning about different perspectives and honoring those different perspectives and coming to it with a sense of inquiry and curiosity that uh, we all learn something as a result?
1: Absolutely. and that's that's I guess why I want to highlight this. to yep. just say um, to approach these situations with curiosity, with compassion, with an open mind and heart, to think that every person involved in that situation has multiple perspectives, has multiple identities, and and their feelings are valuable. And so to just approach these situations and and have other people's perspectives in mind, that's what teachers, I think, and the school district and parents are trying to do. And we're all struggling right now. We're in a pandemic. We're in a really contentious political moment. We're worried about our health, our humanity. We're worried about our homes. I mean, everybody's worried about everything. Yep. And so it's it's hard sometimes to get past these dichotomies and to sit down and have a really difficult conversation. So I would say that's what people can do for our schools and, and our community is to have those difficult conversations from
0: a place of love yep and i i apologize um, I, I don't mean to cut you off we're, we're out of time no, but i think everything you just said also applies to what we should do with our own kids and absolutely having uncomfortable conversations and bringing these issues to light and honoring their perspective and what they're hearing and and drawing them out in, in a way that asks questions to uh again be respectful uh, approach things with with inquiry and, and curiosity and not draw lines in the sand to say if if you think something you 're a horrible person uh, to to just to, to be open minded and the more you can model that and example that in terms of approaching education and I think we 're all better off
1: i I would agree and we are we are here for your children um, the sun prairie teachers are incredibly dedicated as are all of our community members um, I am part of this community because I believe in it. And because I believe that we can make um, a really wonderful place for our children to grow and learn. And I look forward to doing that together. Whether we agree or disagree, um, I'm here for your children and I know you're here for mine. So thank you, Andy.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Having people in the city of Sun Prairie that can help us kind of get to where we're trying to go. Uh, It's exciting to talk to and hear from. So I thank you very much for all you're doing.
1: Thank you so much, Andy. And thanks for your podcast. I really enjoy it.
0: Sure. Thanks very much. Wow, lots of stuff to we could have gone on for much longer and really dealt into. she, she deals with a lot of topics that I'm personally fascinated by and uh, was really I, I you know I get excited every time I just talk to to cool smart people so so uh, I thank you for listening. This is what are we building? I'm Andy Shaner.